I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, yet another example about how people are getting ripped off at for-profit colleges by false claims, false promises, with huge consequences for you as a student. And coming up yet later, there's a new report in a pointy-headed financial publication about how we choose the fund or funds to invest in in our 401k plans, and their research is not pretty. We need to talk about a different way for you to choose the investments in your 401k, Roth IRA, or other equivalent. So our main website's clark.com, and our deal site is Clark Deals. And we've got less than two weeks now till Christmas. We're working hard as we can around the clock, actually, extra shifts, to make sure that as deals come up, that we let you know. But this is a really important cycle in the shopping season where a lot of retailers make more money on every item they sell because the procrastinators who don't really get jazzed about shopping and do it like, oh, I got to go shop for these people, will pay more money. So a lot of the deals right now aren't really special. We're working to make it as clear as possible when you see something whether it really is a deal, and we have items that we find are especially attractive for you at Clark Deals. We also have a daily newsletter if you want to see the hot items on sale each day. So there's a list that was put out by LinkedIn of the top 10 emerging jobs. And these come out at various times through the year from different sources. And there'll be wrinkles that are different from one to another. But the trend is really clear how much the growth areas and jobs are in the general umbrella of STEM, which is the big thing they talk about in school now. So I want to hit you with the top 10 job list from LinkedIn's research. Number one, AI specialists, you know, artificial intelligence. As companies have access to more and more deep data, what they do with it is going to lead to so many things that are both great, creepy, and others that are sinister. But it's an area that's going to lead to a lot of jobs in artificial intelligence, and it is the number one emerging job based on their methodology. Number two follows right along with that robotics engineer. Number three is the lead-in into that data scientist. Number four, I have never heard of, called a full-stack engineer. What is that? There's got to be a definition here of what a full-stack engineer is. Let's see. Here it is. All right. So, while not a new job, 
The rapid pace of change in technology has made full stock developers a valuable asset. It still doesn't say what it is. <laughs> okay. A full stack. Thank you, Joel. A full stack developer is a web developer or engineer who works with both the front and back ends of a website or application, meaning they can tackle projects that involve databases, building user-facing websites, or even work with clients during the planning phase of projects. How'd you find that so quick, Joel? Are you a full stack? Used to be I stopped. You stopped doing that? Okay. <laughs> so, sorry for the... You probably were like, Clark, you don't know what a full stack engineer is? Uh, next is site reliability engineer. Again, uh, computer-based. Then six is these start making more sense as things outside of technology. Customer success specialist. That sounds like a bunch of malarkey, but it's for people who know how to improve the relationship between companies and their customers. Uh, sales development representative, obviously, always on any top list, you'll have a need for salespeople. There are people who are just good at that, who are good at chatting up strangers who are good at making a connection with people and there will always be in society no matter what automation and technology emerges salespeople always are in strong demand uh, now we're back to the data side data engineers so earlier we had data scientists uh, nine behavioral health technician what's interesting about that to me is most lists I see of the top 10, usually four of the things will be something from the health field. But this is the only one that made it on the whole LinkedIn list that is from the health field. And then the 10th and last, cybersecurity specialist. So think about what I said. Seven out of 10 are in some way related to technology, computing, or science, or mixtures of all three of those. Now, that doesn't mean that I want you to go study a STEM field if that holds no interest to you or you have no aptitude in it. Like for me, that information I just gave you is like something I couldn't act on because I have no scientific aptitude at all. If you'd sat next to me in physics and chemistry, you'd completely get that. I, I was terrible. And I only got a high school diploma when I was failing physics because a good friend of mine in high school tutored me on his own the weekend leading into that final exam. Otherwise, I would not have been able to pass that class and graduate from high school. Thank you, Sam. Anyway, not my field, but if it's something that you have an affinity for and you're looking for a field that's got wide open career path in front of it, the fields that I mentioned, certainly that's where the action is. Russell is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Russell. Hello, Clark. How are you doing? Um, surviving retirement, or trying to. Okay. 
Tell me what your scoop is. Yeah, I retired in 2009, right after the Great Recession. And that's a we, tough time. That's a tough time to head on out the door. Did you have a lot of money invested in stock type choices that evaporated before you at that time? Exactly. And uh, what I found was I had a lot of lost opportunities that I thought my company was taken care of in the pension management program, and they left me dangling in the end. So you ended up with no pension either? No, I did a small pension, but uh, they were buying companies, and they were actually uh, diluting you know, the, the older employees' pension. Oh, so they did um, where they froze your benefit? Correct. As they were buying other companies? You know, the, the number of people with pensions, this will not surprise you, uh, the number of companies offering pensions has shrunk 75% in just, I think, the last 15 or 20 years. And companies are even trying to wiggle out of a lot of their obligations they've already entered into for pensions, as you had happened to you with the, with the freezing of the pension. So now you're left in retirement living on a, a pension, pension. <laughs> pension that's a tiny fraction of what you expected, and Social Security, and is that pretty much it? Correct. Um, we do have some rental income that, that helps out a big, di- you know, had I known earlier, I'd done more real estate. <laughs> so are you, are you working part-time to supplement or what are you doing so that you are not living in impoverished retirement? Well, to keep us going with the, what we found in, in retirement after 10 years, our basic income from retirement income is fixed. Our expenses have doubled. Uh, luckily, we had some real estate that we turned into rentals, and that's um, helping us you know, stay abreast with cash flow. So you're in a squeeze play. Right. So we're worried now, what do we do for the next 10 years? How do we preserve what we've got and, and struggle along because the financial markets and pathetic bank savings rates right. and the low CD rates, right. you know, there's no way to get ahead unless we enter the, the markets, the stock markets, and now we're, our equity's at risk. Yeah, there was a terrible barbell effect for people who were finishing school at whatever level they were in in seven, tw- 2007 to 2011, uh, and people who retired 2007 to 2011 at both ends of the age spectrum People were harmed severely, just no fault of their own, just based on the day they were born. And there was a study that came out recently that people who came of age and were finishing school in 2007 to 11 have suffered what may be a permanent income loss from having come into the workforce in that four-year cycle. And for you in retirement... The same thing happened. You were born right, I mean, you, were, you retired right in the middle of that four year period. So, the answer I have for you is one that is, uh, may seem uh, trite that I say this, but it's actually the best answer I have. If you're healthy, you got to work. You got to, in order to ease the cash flow shortage as long as you're healthy you're going to have to work at least part-time to make up that gap well at least when you're 70 you don't have to pay as many taxes i hope <laughs> well and how is your health at 70 well it's that's why i retired early 
the health didn't help matters. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So is work not a practical answer for you? Um, to some degree. Uh, like I said, we the rental pr- properties, I'm not saying I work full time at I have handyman helpers, but that, that becomes our uh, saving uh, cash flow. We do you have, do you have skills? Reasonable. I'm sorry, I stepped over you there. Do you have skills from that company you worked for all those years that you had this uh, tiny pension from that are skills you could put to work that would benefit an employer in a labor-short economy working part-time for someone in your field, maybe even from home? Oh, I, I definitely. Most definitely. I was a contract um, procurement contractor. So I, if I was looking at your situation, while it's still practical for you to get some hours in working, that's going to be the answer because you got years of life that you can't determine how long they're going to be. You have the facts that occurred to you about the timing that hurt you so much and what you thought was going to be your retirement picture. So I think it really is getting some clock hours in every week working Drawing on the skills and experience you had uh, gives you value in the marketplace in a very labor short time in our economy. Plus, I see one other benefit that I didn't even think about. Our health insurance has basically doubled in 10 years, and having some kind of employment may be able to offset with a company plan. Well, there are a number of employers that will give you benefits at 20 hours of the equivalent of 20 hours work a week and that could potentially be a big help to you and it would solve two problems as you just pointed out so well bring in extra income and reduce the expenses being eaten up by health care i wish you the best and this is such a a tough situation that um, many many people suffered being of an age of retirement in the midst of the Great Recession. Today's Clark Rageous moment is an ongoing saga where for-profit schools have taken advantage of would-be students, recruited them in with promises that turned out to be Clark Rageous. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. The University of Phoenix, which has had historically a very good reputation, is having to absorb $141 million in debt of various students. I'm sorry, $191 million in debt of students who went to University of Phoenix under false promises, where they were told that the University of Phoenix had corporate partners that if they entered University of Phoenix and achieved a certain degree, that they were going to be direct hires of these companies. So unfortunately, it turned out, according to the Federal Trade Commission, that that was not true at all, that that was all made up. And so this started with advertising that was on television and online starting in 2012. So students that made decisions to enter based on those false promises of corporate partnerships are eligible to apply for 
essentially having their loans wiped out. And as soon as the procedure to apply for this is worked out, we will post that on Clark.com. But this is a continuing problem, and the Secretary of Education, Ms. DeVos, is not helping at all. She's establishing new rules that when a student is defrauded by a for-profit school, they're going to have a much harder time having the loans wiped out, which is required by federal law. Of course, there are going to be lawsuits about this, but why does she hate students so much? It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, and ClarkDeals.com is where we got the bargains for you, the deals posted around the clock, but we just don't post deals. We vet them for you, and we only want things there that don't waste your time, deals that are a true legitimate savings for you. So speaking of savings, if you're participating in a 401k where you work, what is amazing based on a study that was published in the Financial Review, you're not going to believe how people overwhelmingly pick the funds their money goes in in a 401k. So an employer will supply either a paper form, but more often today an electronic list when you enroll in the 401k, and it'll show you fund choices. And do you know what people are most likely to put money in? The first four funds they see on a list. (laughs) has nothing to do with whether those are appropriate funds for them, appropriate choices, a right a good balanced mix of what you're investing in. No people, either because it's boring to you or you don't really get how to build a portfolio. So people just go in and they say, okay, well, these four are first. I'm going to do these. Bam, 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 bam. And the study found that people are extremely likely to put their money in the first choices they see. So this was done by a research group and a pointy-headed professor who understands these things, whose name I'll never be able to pronounce right, Dr. Iskowitz, or something along those lines. It looks like Iskowitz. And so he and his wife, both professors, did this along with some professors at other schools around the country in Kansas, one of them, another in St. Louis. And the idea of this is for you to really think through, how are you? I mean, think about it. You're living on less than what you make, so you put money in the 401k or an IRA or whatever to build financial security for your future. So... It'd be great if the money you were putting in actually went into a smart choice. So what would that smart choice be? If you're not into investing, it confuses you, whatever. If the plan you're offered offers a target retirement fund, 
That is the simplest, easiest, and for many people, the wisest choice to make. All you do is you pick the year closest to when you're going to retire, and you put your money in that target retirement fund. And then over the decades, the manager of that will continually change the mix of investments to be more appropriate for you getting closer and closer to retirement. And if you set up your own Roth IRA, which I love for you to have a Roth IRA, and investing really isn't your thing, paired with that Roth IRA, do the target retirement fund. And by the way, at Fidelity and Schwab, Vanguard has nothing but inexpensive target retirement funds. At Fidelity and Schwab, there are two different flavors of target retirement funds for each target year. And you want to go in the low-cost one. They each have a low-cost and high-cost one. Make sure you're in the low-cost one, which at uh, Fidelity will have the word index in it. I'm trying to remember what the word is at Schwab. But keep it simple unless investing is what you love. Now, I said something that I glossed over. I'm going to go back to it for one second. If you work at a company that in their 401k, they don't offer the target retirement fund product, and again, investing isn't your thing, if you're under age 45, just put the money in a choice that almost certainly will be there, a total stock market index fund, which will put money into uh, thousands of companies that are publicly traded in the United States that are, that are stocks. If they don't have that, they'll have a 500 stock index fund that will put money in the 500 largest companies in the country. And you could do it under age 45. You could just keep it simple and put all your money in there. But if you want to get fancier, more fancy, fancier, whatever, you would take a percent of your money and put it in a total international index fund, which is investing money overseas. If you want a little bit of conservative mix in there, you might take 20% of the money you have and put it in a total bond index fund. So three funds could get you really widely distributed, allocated, and lower the risk to you in short order when there are times of decline. So if everything I just said, the last 82 seconds, I think it was, I was trying to time that, made your eyes glaze over, that's why you go in the target retirement fund. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jason. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? We're, we're huge fans of yours. Well, thank you very much. What's going you, on with you, tired, Jason? Well, you're probably tired of hearing this, but we think you're the greatest. Well, you were kind to say that. Could you get my family to say that about me? <laughs> no. Uh, my question's about student loans. Uh, my wife's an OBGYN, and I'm an attorney, and together we have uh, six You're not going to sue her, loans. are you? Oh, no, no, no sir. Not, okay. not at all. I'm sorry. I'm that's guy, an old not... cheap lawyer joke about <laughs> husband and wife, OB, and lawyer. <laughs> uh, and we're curious about the student loan forgiveness. Um, there's a lot of talk about it, at least changes, whether it's interest rates or forgiveness. And we, we do have extra money monthly to make additional payments. 
Uh, and obviously the concern is if they change the law to, uh, to our benefit, if whether putting in larger chunks now to pay it off uh, is a situation we may regret in a few years if uh, um, certain political things happen. Just want to get your advice and input. Okay, the odds that we're going to have blanket student loan forgiveness in the United States is probably under 5%. Now, we have loan forgiveness programs in the United States that are non-functional right now, and that's a problem, but in order to participate in the most important one, you or your wife would have to be working in a public service capacity as a lawyer or as an OB. Yes, sir. Are either of you working in a public service capacity that would qualify for the public service loan forgiveness program? Not yet. So I don't think we will be able to qualify for that, but I'm familiar with the program. We just wouldn't qualify for it. Right. And each of you, how much of your loans are federal and how much are private? Well, they're all federal. They're all consolidated. and I believe they're about 7% or so. Okay. At 7% interest, any excess money you have, don't wait for a new Congress to ride in and forgive those loans. The odds okay. of that are so low, and the interest rate you're paying is so high relative to what's going on in the economy, that if you can uh, allocate more money from both of your incomes towards the student loan debts, I would be all over that. Okay. Because, yeah, I, I mean, where, where in the that. world, Jason, can you <laughs> earn 7% on your money with zero risk nowhere uh, right totally agree so i'm afraid to ask with the two professions you have but what kind of total number of student loan debt do you have together it, it's in the low 200s okay so this is going to freak a lot of people out that's actually very low for someone who's got a law degree and someone who's an OBGYN. Yes, sir. I, I don't know if you heard me say recently, one of my former employees who's now uh, at her in her residence as a doctor, residency, uh -huh. that she knows two people who are fellow residents who have each student loan debt in excess of a million dollars. That's That's crazy. So at 200K with the income streams that both of you are likely to have, I, I, okay, I know this is going to sound weird, but I think you've got enough income likely between the two of you that you should be able to take out 200 k on a 10-year cycle. Okay. And set about that as a plan because being able to live the rest of your life without the overhang of the student loan debt would be fantastic. And 7% rates are so corrosive to you building wealth that I would make that a high priority and goal. Yes, sir. I just I wanted to get your uh, input before I did that. Oh, you were thinking that way. <laughs> well, I was thinking about it, but I was a little nervous about doing it with with possibilities of the horizon. But I, mean, I think you've just talked me into uh, getting this thing uh, getting this thing out of here and getting it rid of. Yeah, and I, I'm telling you, I may be overstating the possibility of under five percent. I just can't see that happening in our political culture where we'd have wholesale loan forgiveness. Emmett is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Emmett. 
How you doing, Clark? Great, thank you, Emmett. Thanks for everything you do for us. Well, thank you, and I am so excited about your question, because no one's asked me this in probably seven or eight months. All right, well, here we go. What's the (laughs) scoop? Looking at buying a new home, um, building a new home, actually, and uh, builders just starting out. So I was wondering, I always thought, you know, if you can get in on the ground level, you can get the best price, but not sure I want to rent it by you. Is it better to... uh, do it up front, uh, somewhere in the middle, or do you wait until they're about ready to close out to get the best uh, deal on the home? Okay, so you gave me three choices there. I actually have to add a fourth one that, believe it or not, yeah. the best protection for your wallet is not buying in a brand new development. Because when a development's brand new, you don't know how it's going to pan out. You don't know if the economy is going to take a sudden unexpected turn. And then there will be um, a lot of scarred, unfinished lots or partially built houses around you that someone else, an unknown, could come in later and say, well, I'm picking up these lots cheap. I'm going to build much lower price point homes. And then your wallet is dead when that happens. I, Hmm. I really like it for you to look at homes that are, if you like a new home, why not look at one that's nearly new? where the neighborhood's built out, you have a real sense about how that neighborhood's doing, and you pay less per square foot for a home that is used than you do for a brand new construction. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. The only thing is, as far as getting the home built the way you want it built, you know, you have to go back in and retrofit everything. Cause, but, you, but, you know... Yeah. There's less of that than you might imagine. Uh, how many places have you lived at in your life? Um, houses, uh, five apartments, tons. So when you, when you move into a house, even if it's not exactly what you wanted or exactly how you like, we adjust to it and we live in it in a way that's good and comfortable for us. Unless a house is just absolutely, just totally ugly or has a stupid floor plan or whatever. I mean, you know, you can find right, something right. that will be... Pretty close to what you want. Right. And a house becomes your home that you build your life in once you're in it. And, you know, there's old expression, um, home is where the heart is. And so that's right. really true. So if it's about dollars and cents, buying early or middle in a new development or even late, is not going to get you when you're buying new the value for each dollar that you're going to get buying used. Let somebody else, it's almost, it's not as bad as with a car, but let somebody else pay for that new home thing, and you get the benefit of them having done that when you're the second or third buyer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. Let me tell you about Ask Clark. It's where you can go post at clark.com slash ask. And when you post there, we got three ways that we want to serve you. One, we have Team Clark, which you may not know we have. We've had since 1993. It's where we provide free advice to you away from the show. So you get to talk with a member of Team Clark. Many who have been answering your questions since the 1990s. And so you get somebody who's really experienced who can give you advice about your question. You can also call in to Team Clark. Or you can check a box, which is, hey, I want to talk to Clark about this straight on. And if we can make that happen, we'll do that. Or third, producer Joel will ask your question for you. Yeah, Clark, let's do it. Natalie has a question. She says, I'm really interested in paying down some debt this holiday season. I'd like to know, in your opinion, if it's better to pay down a credit card balance or to pay extra towards a home and car loan principal. Definitely credit card. The reason is the car loan pays out on a clear schedule and should have an interest rate much lower than your credit cards. The mortgage loan should have, a if you bought a home, and the last 10 years should have an extremely low interest rate. And when you look at the three types of debt you named, a home would be the least efficient to pay extra on. By far the most efficient return on your investment would be paying additional money towards the credit card balances. And do it methodically. Pay the minimum against all your lower interest rate cards, if you have multiple credit cards, and throw every last dollar you can at the credit card with the highest interest rate, and that will get you the biggest return on each dollar you pay. All right, and Robin wrote in, she says, I have a used car to sell. How do you feel about selling to an online-based company like Carvana? Uh, I've actually done it myself. It's funny, in our family, I've sold a car to Carvana. My oldest brother has bought a car from Carvana, and I have lots of friends who've been on both sides of that. They're really um, pretty easy to do business with. The process is very clean, selling them a vehicle. And I sold one to them because the price I was offered versus trading in the vehicle was quite a bit more. And it was a little bit of effort, more effort than it would have been with a trade-in, but not enough to not make it worth getting the extra money. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.